This is Dr. Weeks speaking. I'm very happy to have this opportunity to talk to you personally. First, I want to say that however long you may have suffered from nervous illness, if you wish to recover, you can. The main difference between a person ill for many years and someone ill for a short time is that the one who has suffered for long has had much more time to collect disturbing memories, especially the memory of much defeat, so that he despairs so easily. But there is nothing physically altered within this person determining that because he has been ill for so long, he cannot possibly recover now. However long you may have been ill, your body is waiting to recover in exactly the same way as the body of a person who has been ill for only a short while. The same processes of recovery are waiting to work as well for you as for anyone else. It is important to understand this because your illness is very much an illness of the way you think. It is very much an illness of your attitude to fear, to panic. You may think it's an illness of how you feel. It most certainly seems like this. But how you feel depends on how you think, on what you think. And because it is an illness of how you think, you can recover. Thoughts that are keeping you ill can be changed. In other words, your approach to your illness can be changed. Now, don't despair when you hear me say this. I know how easily you despair. And I know how impossible it may seem to you at this moment to even imagine changing your approach to your illness. But it's my work to show you how to do this, to help you do this. Have the courage to listen on and see what you must do. Don't despair. Take heart. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 10th episode of the Mind Body Mastery podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Michaels, and I'm so happy that you're here with me today. Um, today, I'm just going to be piggybacking upon last week's uh, intro to um, the Barb Marquardt episode, um, where I kind of briefly mentioned anxiety as a very common symptom imperative that comes up a lot when people start to heal from their like bodily pain TMS symptoms. And so I'm going to delve a little bit deeper into that today. Um, but first, I just want to give a little shout out to my reviewers this week. Thank you guys so much for your kind, kind reviews. It's been so exciting to like wake up to one every now and again. And it's like, ooh. Um, and so specifically, Christy MKE, thank you so much for your sweet review. Um, Barb Bobermark. Thank you so much for your sweet review. And last but not least, M. Bella Jean. Thank you so kindly for your beautiful, beautiful words. They really brighten my day and they help us reach more people. Um, the more reviews you have, the higher your podcast ranks on iTunes. So that when people search for, say, mind and body, um, you know, 
I'm not like all the way at the end, <laughs> um, but um, slowly kind of creeping up here with these reviews. So that's wonderful. Thank you guys so much for contributing. Um, if you have a few moments to do that yourself, I would greatly appreciate it. And um, if you can't do that, um, or if you don't have the podcast app, you can simply share this episode or any other episode that you loved with a family member or friend that you think might benefit. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. So anxiety, it is a son of a gun, isn't it? (laughs) Um, When I was dealing with my little flare of anxiety, I um, often didn't even think about it as a symptom imperative to my TMS. TMS is funny because it's like, You often don't realize until you're out of the woods how deep in the woods you were at the time. And so um, my symptom shifting um, going way back went from eating disorder to back pain a month later to um, neck pain, hip pain, alternating back and forth with the back pain over the next 10 years. And then reading Sarno, all that pain dissolving and then severe anxiety for the next year or so. And now looking back, it was, it wasn't until I kind of agreed to stop fearing the feelings themselves. Um, that really helped kind of pull myself out of the, the fear thoughts that come along with anxiety. And so So at the beginning of the episode, you heard a little snippet from Claire Weeks' audio, and so we'll kind of be going over her methods for overcoming anxiety. So I can't wait to tell you about that. And then I'm also going to be mentioning the work of Byron Katie once again, and uh, we'll play a little clip at the end as well. And so essentially, anxiety is just another manifestation of TMS, And anxiety is likely just that feeling that arises that um, our pain was actively hiding. And so, yeah, for me, I didn't feel anxious at all while I had back pain. It was like I was cool as a cucumber and always calm and always had the right words. And it wasn't until my back pain left me that it was like, oh, shoot, here are those feelings that my back pain was hiding. I, I didn't technically have a book cure, I had a lot of stuff that needed to be processed and and looked at. And so anxiety can often show up out of nowhere. Like for me, it was like I had no idea what I was even anxious about. I just knew that I had palpitations and tachycardia and sweaty palms and um, nausea and trouble breathing was probably my, my biggest symptom, just the inability to take a full deep breath. And so the way that it shows up is often so confusing. And so it leads to this like cycle of anxiety to confusion, to fear of that confusion and anxiety. And it kind of, kind of goes in a loop like that, which Dr. Claire Weeks mentioned as well, which I'll get into in, in a little bit. Um, but anxiety often comes in waves of irrational fear, 
on top of irrational fear. fear. And so when anxiety sticks around for periods of time and our thoughts tend to become more and more irrational. And so sometimes we'll think that they're rational, but upon further examination, we see that most of our fears that we have are totally catastrophic and not going to happen. And so um, anxiety is both psychological and physical. And it's usually the physical symptoms that we're most afraid of because those are the ones that we notice. So the the palpitations, the rapid heart rate, the nausea, the difficulty breathing, all of those things make us feel like we're dying. And so it's really easy to get caught up in the fear of them. So that's why most people who have a panic attack feel like they are having a heart attack because it is so drastically real that it's hard to differentiate between the two. And so all of the physical symptoms are a direct result of our thoughts. And due to the natural human tendency to have a negativity bias, which means that we always expect the worst, we have catastrophic thoughts, and we immediately go to worst case scenarios, which are always in the future, which can then become a wicked habit. So the first step is really just simply beginning to notice just how often your thoughts tend to be fearful and focused on worry about the future. So try to just simply catch yourself as you do this and quietly acknowledge it and say hello. And then we'll go over techniques in a little bit on how to change those thoughts. And so anxiety is TMS, which means that the treatment is the same. So when your pain subsides and your anxiety rises, reframe this shift as a good sign. Now the emotionality that your pain had been hiding is coming up to be looked at and questioned and processed. So be encouraged when this happens. Don't judge yourself for having these anxious feelings now suddenly. It's just your your stuff coming up to be processed. So perhaps the most famous doctor known in the 20th century for um, revolutionary mind-body ideas about dealing with and treating anxiety was Dr. Claire Weeks. She was alive between 1903 and 1990, and she wrote several books on the topic, but her most favorite book was perhaps Hope and Help for Your Nerves. And in there, she discussed a simple step-by-step solution to dealing with the feelings of anxiety and panic um, and depression as it arises. And so her main principles were the following. Number one, anxiety is natural and normal. It is not a disease. It is not a, a personality flaw. It is a natural reaction to perceived danger. And in this day and age, we have so much perceived danger that I don't believe that anyone is immune to feelings of anxiety. Anyone who drives a car on the road, like anxiety is got to be there <laughs> um, unless 
unless I'm sorely mistaken, I don't believe there's anyone on this planet that could possibly be immune to the feelings of anxiety, at least sometimes. And so when we label anxiety as something that needs to be medicated or something that needs to be um, treated in a way that, that masks the feeling, um, then we self-judge and self-blame and feel shame. And all of those things only t- tend to compound the anxiety itself. And so just understanding the simple fact that anxiety is your primitive brain's original danger signal. So it was there from the beginning to let you know that there's a woolly mammoth running towards you and that you should really fight or flee or freeze or one of those things. And uh, nowadays we have our Facebook news feeds and the news in general and, uh, you know, people posting things that are talking about the end of the world and, and how our water is running out and how our oil is running out and how we're destroying the universe with our fossil fuels and whatever. You will find no shortage of things to be worried about or afraid of. And so it's when we when we focus on these things that we tend to create a situation in our brains where we are in a constant state of fight or flight and therefore we are in a constant state of anxiety or pain or both. Oftentimes the pain can um, subdue the feelings of anxiety and depression, but sometimes both can go hand in hand quite, quite nicely. So, or well, unnicely. And so the second principle that she mentioned was um, of habit change. So a lot of times when we're feeling anxious, we tend to avoid certain situations or certain places or certain events or certain whatever, just because we are afraid of what will happen. We're afraid that we might have an anxiety attack. We're afraid that um, we might lose control. And so she suggested that we not do this. In fact, when we do change our habits because of fear of anxiety feelings, we only serve to exacerbate the anxiety itself. And then we also create a situation where we close in on our world. Our world becomes a small, tiny box that we can live in, and there are safe events and unsafe events. And so when we can challenge those triggers, much like our pain triggers. In one of the previous episodes, I talked about how when you're in that chronic state of pain and we have an activity that hurts us, like bending over to tie our shoes or walking a, a distance or um, you know, walking on uneven surfaces, we can slowly reintroduce those activities while affirming to ourselves that we are safe and and we are safe and especially with anxiety because all it is is those ucky feelings that we have in our chest and our throat and our stomach and and then our fear thoughts that are attached to them so when we break it down to those feelings those physical sensations and we ask ourselves can i handle this lump in my throat yes can i handle this churning in my stomach 
Yes, I'm handling it. Can I handle this rapid heart rate? Yes, I don't love it, but yes, I can handle it. And so by by going to the grocery store at five o'clock when you know it's going to be crazy busy, um, you know, do these things slowly. If if you're at the point where you're agoraphobic and you're at home all the time, then do something a little less frightening first. We don't want to invite a panic attack. We want to slowly build up our tolerance to those things that we once labeled fearful. And so the third principle that she mentioned were those three pitfalls that I briefly talked about in the beginning um, that were um, sensitization, bewilderment, and fear. And so sensitization just means that we are sensitive, like oversensitized to the world around us. So we become nervous to the world around us. And so then when those feelings of nervousness arise, then bewilderment kicks in and bewilderment is simply just confusion. Like, where is this coming from? Why is this happening to me? What, what's going on? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to have a panic attack? Am I going to die? And so that's the bewilderment phase, which then blends in nicely to the fear phase. And so um, bewilderment leads to fear because suddenly with bewilderment, we all, we have all of those fear thoughts come in. And so then the fear thoughts lead to more sensitization, more anxiety, more bewilderment, more fear, and it becomes a closed loop. And so um, getting out of that cycle can be a little bit of a challenge, but it's totally possible. And so Dr. Claire Weeks' strategy for overcoming anxiety is as follows. Number one, accept your panic, your fear, and your anxiety, especially the symptoms that arise with it, such as those feelings in the gut or the feelings in the throat or the feeling that the world around you is unreal or the inability to breathe. Just surrender to those feelings and lean into them just like you would your back pain or your foot pain. Just surrender to them and allow them to be there without judgment. So the judgment piece is important because so many of us were raised to believe, and not necessarily by our parents, but just raised to believe in general from a societal understanding that merely having anxiety meant that we were somehow troubled or in need of fixing or, or a danger to ourselves or someone else. And the only real danger in anxiety comes from letting yourself get worked up about the fact that it's there rather than simply allowing it to have its moment. And so the second strategy for overcoming anxiety is floating through the anxiety. And this was described by Dr. Weeks as masterful inactivity, wherein you only need to concentrate on being here now. And with that being present, um, we also stop our natural uh, triggers of self-analysis and struggle against the feeling. So we drop all struggle and we float on through it. So a lot of times we have this misconception that 
we have to hold it together, that we have to just hang on for for fear of falling apart. When in reality, when we let go of trying to hold on, those anxious feelings subside. And so floating through anxiety just means letting go of hanging on to to this concept that we need to hold it together. Just let it let it come, let it be. Let it be there without wanting to fix it or change it or shift it in any way. And then the last thing to do and the only thing to do is to let time pass. So remaining active, getting yourself up and out of bed every day, brushing your teeth, taking a walk, just doing things to keep active rather than just sitting with your fear thoughts all day. Because when we allow anxiety to run our lives, we are now victims of it when we hold the power all along. Same with our pain. And so repeating those tasks that have historically triggered anxiety should gradually be faced and experienced until layer by layer, the fear that is attached to that anxiety or place fades. And so also remember that if you feel like your progress is too slow, (laughs) this is Jax, by the way, I don't think I formally introduced him to you guys. This is my cat. He always meows during my recordings. So hi, Jax. Hello. He wants to go outside. And so also remember that if you feel like progress is slow, just keep going. Just like with your physical symptoms, putting a deadline on when will this anxiety feeling go away will only keep you more anxious when you, when you don't reach those deadlines that you've made for yourself. And so on a final note, um, Dr. Claire Weeks also addressed depression and said that most people who suffer from anxiety also suffer from depression. It's just that depression is uh, kind of an emotional fatigue and extreme exhaustion from constant barrages of anxiety. And so then that emotional exhaustion turns into apathy. And apathy has way less energy than anxiety. And so it's almost like a giving up because the worry hasn't solved their fear problem yet. And you're spent. Weeks suggestion for depression is very similar to that of anxiety, though. So when a wave of depression hits, have the courage to relax toward it and let it come while taking any opportunities that you can to cheer yourself up, recharge your emotional batteries, and live life despite it. And with both anxiety and depression, expect setbacks. Just like with pain, don't feel like you failed just because you're feeling anxious or sad today. When you think you shouldn't be, we are emotional creatures who came to this planet to feel all the feelings. We are not immune to bad days, but with an attitude of acceptance and self-love and a fearless attitude towards our feelings, we will never again experience chronic 
bouts of anxiety, depression, or pain. And so I just want to mention one book that helped me greatly throughout my year of, of struggling with those anxious thoughts and feelings. And that is the book called Loving What Is by Byron Katie. Byron Katie is a world-renowned teacher of what she calls the work. And the work is essentially four simple questions and a turnaround. And so she, um, the, I really just recommend the audiobook for Loving What Is, actually, because she has interviews with um, people that are live recorded and on, on that book recording. So it's really helpful to hear her go through the work. And so the work absolutely changed my relationship to my thought patterns and exposed my stressful thoughts for the imposters that they were. Katie is quoted as saying, you don't experience anxiety unless you're attached to a thought that isn't true for you. And it's that simple. And so with her concept of inquiry, she has you take each stressful thought and has you write it down and then ask these four questions about it. So let's say you have a thought like, my spouse doesn't care about my feelings. And, and so then you would write that down on paper just so you can see it. And then you would just ask the four questions. So you would say, okay, so my spouse doesn't care about my feelings. Is it true? That's the first question. And so then you just sit with that for a moment and you think to yourself, is it true? And, you know, it could be a yes, it could be a no, but just sit with it for a moment and, and really ask yourself, is it true? And so then the second question asks you to go deeper still. And so the second question is, can you absolutely know that to be true? And you'll find often that, no, you cannot absolutely know anything to be true especially when it's about another person because you cannot see into the window of their heart. Only they know what's in their heart. And so when you project your reality onto their heart, you, you set yourself up for anxiety and depression and sadness around that particular feeling because you've attached to it. And so then the third question is, how do I react when I believe that thought? And for this particular example, well, you'd feel unloved, uncared for. You'd feel really terrible, really. You'd feel like you're all alone in your marriage and that you can't confide in your partner. And so then you can kind of just sit with and feel that which is going on in your heart when you believe that thought, which you're already believing. And so then the final question is, who would I be without that thought? And so then you can just sit with the idea of never thinking that thought in the first place. And so if you didn't have that thought, then you'd be like free. You'd, you'd feel 
loved. You would feel like you always did in your marriage. Like, like it's, she is who she is and I am who I am and, and we're good. And, um, so that is the power of this inquiry. And I'm going to kind of just guide you through a little clip here, um, that, um, I took off of the Byron Katie YouTube channel. And so I'm going to play that for you now, and then I'll be back to close. When I was listening, I thought of my father died when I was 13, and I've had you know, story after story about how bad that was for many years, but I don't feel that anymore, and I haven't for a long time. Or, or anything that's happened to me in the past seems pretty irrelevant. And I realized as I was listening that most of the things that make me unhappy are about the future. Their fears about the future. And I don't know how you can question your beliefs about what's happening. Mean, it's well, not questions about beliefs about the past. It's always about well, the Well, sweetheart, future. what do you uh, fear about the future? Oh my gosh, what don't I fear about the future? I fear... So um, just isolate one. Okay. I f- well, I fear suffering in the future. So in the future you're going to suffer. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? I don't know if it's true, no. So what happens when you think that thought? I get scared now and unhappy and So close your eyes and what images do you see when you think the thought, I'm going to suffer? I see, you know, a bag lady on the street. I see, you know, someone who's dying of bone cancer. I see, I mean, I have all these feel Feel that. Okay. You see, that's how you see yourself. And then it goes into, if I don't do this, that'll happen. I better do this or that'll happen. I better get married or that'll happen. I better, I better, I better get a good job or that'll happen. I better go to school or, you know, all, how, look, that's how you react when you believe the thought. Mm-hmm. Okay? And you get to see it all as images. And then you live it out. That's what's driving you. Fear is driving you. Mm-hmm. So who would you be without the thought? In the future, I'm going to suffer, or I'm going to suffer. In my old age, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to suffer, period. Who would you be without that thought? I mean, who would you be without that thought? I'd be someone who isn't suffering right now. Well, that's a little less suffering in the world. It's a little less suffering in the world. And this moment is all there is, and I can promise you that it's all there ever will be. This moment. You okay? Yeah, yeah. Well, you're you're I'm standing in your future. Remember on when you were worried that in the future you would suffer. Yes. Well, here it is. How you doing? <laughs> this doesn't qualify as real suffering, do we? No, and it never will in the moment now. It just won't in the moment now. And if it appears that you're suffering, put it on paper. That's where you know, all war belongs on paper. All suffering belongs on paper. Write down all the things that I'm believing about the future and then question them. Are they true? Is that what you're saying? Well, that's what you just did. How you mm-hmm. doing? I mean, you're living your future right now. You were wrong. (laughs) 
How long will that future take to manifest? I don't know. Well, sweetheart, it never changes. This is the only moment you have to take care of yourself. You know, this is the only moment there is. Mm-hmm. And everything else is imagination. You know. Imagining you as a bag lady out there and, and as you stand here, mm-hmm. just fine in reality. Find the reality right just, now. Yeah, doing very well in reality. Very well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm just like you, you know, only I don't bother with the future. And when I say, you know, every moment is okay, and I can promise you that, I'm coming from experience, and I expect you not to believe me, but to test it every moment. When you listen to someone else doing the work, you think, why don't they get it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here going, okay, I'm trying to get this. Mm-hmm. Get what? Get it. I mean, Are you okay in this moment? I am okay in You this got moment. it. But the next moment, I'm already thinking, well, you know, what about if that happens? Well, that moment is already took up with well, that Well, what if that, that happened? What if that happened? What do you think would happen? Ooh, yuck, bad. I mean, I'm afraid I would really be... Tense and unhappy and cold. You mean like you second. are now? Yeah, right this second. Yeah, well, you're but not, like, you know, you're projecting, mm-hmm. like, you're projecting, you're projecting your misery now as your future. Right. So just take care of now. You know, in the future, I'm going to suffer. Oh, that was now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You know, no one's ever going to like me if I... Oh, gosh, I'm not liking me very much right now. <laughs> okay. It's like, why did he do that to me? Oh, why am I doing this to me? Mm. Mm. So the only suffering in the future that's possible is that what I allow to happen in the moment. Well, as I... You know, as, as I said, this is your future. You know, remember what you just said? Just that last second? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so... It's over. How you doing? I'm fine. Yeah, isn't the past kind? It's always over. Yeah. The yeah. past doesn't... Isn't the future fabulous? Here it is. All right, guys. I hope that made some sense to you. I hope um, you could hear yourself in in that woman speaking. I know I could. Um, you know, it's Byron Katie's so cool because she always says there are no new stressful thoughts. Every single thought we have that brings us stress has been thought a million times by everyone else in the world. And so we are in good company together. And so um, I encourage you to take heart and and harness your own courage that lies within you to move through these emotions that we've always looked at as being scary or painful and see that see them for what they are, which is just that little kid within us that needs some love. And so thanks so much for being here today, you guys. I'm going to wrap it up. And so just a couple of reminders to subscribe and review if you if you have the time and the energy. And, uh, and if you're 
liking anything that you've heard here so far um, in these 10 episodes. So thanks for sticking with me, you guys. I really appreciate it. And, and we'll come back to you next week. Thanks. Bye.